0: A Confession by Leo Tolstoy Translated by Jane Candish Chapter 3 And so I lived, abandoning myself to this madness, for another six years until I married. During this period I went abroad. Life in Europe and the contact I had with advanced and learned Europeans still further reinforced the belief in overall perfection by which I lived, for I found the same belief among them. With my own self, this belief assumed the form it usually takes among the educated men of our time. The belief was expressed in the word progress. At the time, I felt that this word had some meaning. Living as I was then, like any individual, I was tormented by the problem of how to live a better life. I did not yet understand that, in answering, live in conformity with progress, I was speaking exactly like a person who was in a boat carried along by wind and waves. And who, when asked the most important and vital question, where should I stir, avoids answering by saying, we are being carried somewhere. At the time, I noticed none of this. Only occasionally, led more by instinct than reason, I rebelled against the superstition so prevalent in our age by which people shield themselves from their failure to understand life. Thus, during my stay in Paris, the sight of an execution revealed to me the precariousness of my superstition and progress. When I saw the heads being separated from the bodies and heard them thump, one after the next, into the box I understood, and not just with my intellect but with my whole being, that no theories of the rationality of existence and progress could justify this crime. I realized that even if every single person since the day of creation Had, according to whatever theory, found this necessary, I knew that it was unnecessary and raw, and therefore that judgments on what is good and necessary must not be based on what other people say and do, or on progress, but on the instincts of my own soul. Another instance in which I felt that superstition of progress was inadequate in regard to life was the death of my brother. He was an intelligent, kind-hearted, serious man who became ill when he was young, suffered for over a year and died in torment without having understood why he had lived and still less why he was dying. No theories could provide the answers to these questions, either for him or for me. During his slow and torturous death, but there were only rare instances of doubt and in truth I continued to live, professing faith only in progress. Everything is evolving and I am evolving. And the reason why I am evolving, together with all the rest, will one day be known to me. This is how I would have formulated my belief at the time. When I returned from abroad, I settled in the country and busied myself with the running of the peasant schools. This occupation was close to my heart because in it was none of the falsehood that had become so apparent to me and struck me so forcibly when I was a literary teacher. Here too, I was acting in the name of progress. But I had merely assumed a critical attitude towards this progress. I told myself that in some of its manifestations, progress had proceeded incorrectly and that here, when dealing with the primitive peasant children, it was necessary to act in a spirit of freedom, leaving them to choose whatever path to progress they wished to take. In reality, I was still confronted with the same insoluble problem of how to teach without knowing what I was teaching. In the higher circles of literary activity, it was apparent to me that I could not teach without knowing what it was I taught. For I saw that everyone taught differently and that, in our arguments, we only concealed our own lack of knowledge for each other. But here, with the peasant children, I thought I could avoid this difficulty by allowing the children to study whatever they liked. It amused me to recall how I sidetracked in order to fulfill my ambition of teaching while knowing very well in the depths of my heart that I could not possibly teach what was needed because I did not know what it was. After a year spent occupied with the affairs of a school, I went abroad again in order to discover how to teach others what I did not know myself. I thought I learned this there and equipped with all this wisdom I returned to Russia in the year of the emancipation of the Serbs. I took up the position of the arbitrator and started teaching the uneducated people in the schools, as well as the educated people through the journal I had begun publishing. This seemed to be going well, but I felt that my mental state was not altogether healthy and that this could not continue for long. I might perhaps have fallen at this time into the same despair that I had fell into when I was fifteen. if there had not been one aspect of my life I had not yet experienced and which promised salvation. This was family life. For a year, I involved myself with arbitration work, with the schools and the journal, and soon exhausted myself. This was largely due to my confusion. The struggle as arbitrator became so burdensome, my school activities so complex, and my journalistic provocations so repulsive to me, since they always consisted of the same thing, the desire to teach everyone while concealing the fact that I did not know what I was teaching. I became ill, spiritually more than physically. I threw in everything and left for the steps of Bashkirs to breathe fresh air, drink calmness and live a primitive life. On my return, I married. The new circumstances of happy family life completely distracted me from any search for the overall meaning of life. At the time, my whole life was bound up with my family, my wife and my children and thus, in concerns for improving our means of living. My striving for self-perfection, which had already been replaced by a striving for perfection in general, is, for progress, was now sublimated beneath the straightforward desire of achieving the best for my family and myself. Thus, another 15 years passed. Despite the fact that during those 15 years I considered the writer's task unimportant, I continued to write. I had already tasted the temptations of authorship the temptations of enormous financial gain and applause for my trivial work. And I devoted myself to it as a means of improving my material position and of stifling any questions in my soul regarding the meaning of my own life or of life in general. I wrote, teaching what was for me the only truth, that we must live in order to give ourselves and our families the best possible in life. And so, I lived until 5 years ago when something very strange started happening to me. At first, I began experiencing moments of bewilderment. My life would come to a standstill, as if I did not know how to live or what to do. And I felt lost and fell into despair. But they passed and I continued to live as before. Then these moments of bewilderment started to recur more frequently, always taking the same form. On these occasions, when life came to a standstill, the same questions always arose. Why? What comes next? At first, I thought the questions to be pointless and irrelevant. I felt the answers were well known and that should I wish to resolve them, it would not cost me much effort. That for the time being, I did not have the time to work it all out. But that, when I put my mind to it, I would find all the answers. However, the questions repeated themselves, over and again demanding answers with more and more urgency. They fell like full stops, always on the same spot, uniting in one large black spot. And then, what happens to everyone stricken with a fatal inner disease? Happened to me. At first, minor signs of indisposition appear, which the sick person ignores, then these symptoms appear more and more frequently, merging into one interrupted period of suffering. The suffering increases and before the sick man realises what is happening, he discovers that the thing he had taken for an indisposition is in fact the thing that is more important to him than anything in the world, it is death. This is just what happened to me, I realised that it was not just a casual indisposition but something very serious and that if the same questions kept repeating themselves, they would have to be answered and I tried to answer them. The questions seemed so stupid, simple, and childish. But the moment I touched upon them and tried to resolve them, I was immediately convinced. Firstly, that they were not childish and stupid questions, but were the most important and profound questions in life. And secondly, however much I thought about them, I could not resolve them. Before occupying myself with my Samara estate, with the education of my son, or with the writing of books, I had to know why I was doing these things. While I did not know why, I could not do anything. Amidst my thoughts concerning the farm, which at the time kept me very busy, a question would suddenly come into my head. So you will have 6,000 desitins in the Samara province and 300 horses. And then what? And feeling completely taken aback, I would not know what to think next. Or. Beginning to reflect on the education of my children, I would ask myself, why? Or, deliberating on how the peasants might achieve prosperity, I would suddenly ask myself, what concern is it of mine? Or thinking about the fame my own writing bought me, I would say to myself, well fine, so you will be more famous than Goggle, Pushkin, Shakespeare, Molaire, more famous than all the writers in the world, and so what? and I had absolutely no answer